different. And for those of you that know me and know me well, I am not so much the themed preacher. I don't necessarily go with our either American or international holidays and preaching according to those themes. Um, so Valentine's Day week, when you come, we won't be preaching on Valentine's Day or love or things like that. Um, we have been on the Book of Acts, but I'll be honest with you. I really, really wanted to stay with Book of Acts, but all throughout this week, um, there's two things. Is With Father's Day being today, um, number one, there is nothing that has plagued our generation like the issue of fatherlessness. The, the, the orphan spirit that is upon an entire generation. Number one, because of the, the family unit being broken down, but then also in, in units where there is the context of a mother and a father, the absolute absence of an emotionally invested father. Um, so it's, it's undeniable. I'm not even going to take the time to go through statistics with you um, because it's, it's plain as day. Um, and also, for many of you that are aware, even the sex trade industry and the issue with the sex trade industry in our generation is an epidemic. I mean, it is of proportions that they almost can't even chart and scale. And this is actually, with the sex trade industry, the, the pimps that are prostituting women and to various degrees, the statement actually is, is that women are being bred to, for this line of work because of fathers, mm -hmm. because of being abandoned by fathers, because of being unwanted <coughs> by fathers. It's setting women up to be in that posture of seeking male affirmation and attention and really to be brought captive by anyone that will give that to them. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, like any issue really that you look in in our society in present day, it comes down to the breakdown of the family unit. Mm -hmm. It's that simple and that fundamental. I mean, we can kind of go after the symptoms of the sex trade, but really in, in its essence is, it's a generation of young people that have been orphaned. They've been left to themselves and abandoned. And it has set the stage, I mean, even with the epidemic of um, pornography in our generation, it's young males, ultimately. It, it's an issue of love and identity. I mean, all of it really comes down, back down to this place of emotional health and healing. And so, like I said, my, I, it wasn't my inclination to kind of do a message on um, the Father heart of God. But throughout this week, I thought, you know, number one, it's because of it being highlighted in our generation, but also the Word of God, there is such an emphasis upon the identity of God as the Father. I mean, it's, it's seen all throughout the Word of God. Many, many parables are actually illustrated through him being father. Um, then you have the parable of the prodigal son. There are so many fundamentals that come back down to this issue of God the Father and really how we relate to him as a father. And if we don't see him clearly for who he is, but also second to that, if our own earthly father, and I'm going to say this on two sides, if our own earthly father was absent or even if he was present but emotionally absent, and then on the flip side, you may have had an earthly father that kind of did his very best, on all sides of the spectrum, man always fails us. There is no perfect human being. So my, I'll say in my case, my father provided financially yeah, wonderfully. He worked, he worked 80 hours a week my whole entire life. I had private education. All of us kids got our car bought for us. I mean, he, he went above and beyond as a father. Um, but even in that, as a child, I was severely broken because there was an emotional dynamic that was lacking between him, him and I. And this isn't a story about me today, and I probably won't even mention my own story another time throughout the rest of today. But I say that to say 
because at 16, I had a radical encounter with the love of God that changed me. I can honestly tell you, I probably would be severely mentally ill, stricken by enormous amounts of fear. I was tormented with fear as a child. There were several components that were at work in my life, but when the love of God came in, and I, it was the love of God, but I'm also going to say this testimony to you. At 16, because I encountered the love of God, God actually was able to use me because I was healed enough to then reach out to my dad. Mm. So I didn't, from 16 on, I was not responding to him out of woundedness and out of rejection. I was responding to him as someone that had been completely washed and cleansed and healed in the love of God. And from that, I was actually able to reach out to my dad in a way. And I can honestly tell you today, my father is one of my closest friends. And as a child, I would look at the Father's Day cards. I'm sure every single one of you, when you say the word father, there's some kind of emotion evoked in you. It's either in an emotion of feeling protected or it's an emotion of feeling even remorse and regret and loss over what could have been, should have been, isn't. All of those things. There's, there's immense emotion that's evoked inside of our hearts. And I know as a child, when I would look at certain Father's Day cards, the emotion, I constantly would be like, well, that doesn't apply. You know, because it was so emotional. It was so like, you've been there and you've, you know, I, yes, he was there in many, many ways. But there was many other ways that there was a huge lack and need in my life. But the extraordinary thing is now as an adult, because of the healing that the Lord did and the way of the reconciliation even in relationship between my father and I, the amount of closeness and true emotional closeness that's there, it's because the Lord entered in, he healed my heart, and he was actually used, able to use me to remedy part of, I, I kind of walked through a season of actually teaching my dad. I would hug him and say, Dad, you're supposed to hug me back now. Like, put your arm around me, come on. Like, <laughs> you know, but honestly, when you're responding out of woundedness, there's no way you can take the emotional risk to then say, okay, this is what I need from you. This is what I, I, I went through a season of saying, Dad, I love you, and now you're supposed to say, I love you too. Because I never heard that as a child. Um, but it was the place of, of, of having health and strength that I was able to go beyond my own comfort and recognize that he was a man in need. That he was a man that needed emotional healing and longing to see God do that. So really, I just want, I kind of want to preface it by saying whether you had even a, the very, very best that we could kind of see in culture and society or you had the most broken of situation, it's really not about what your personal experience was. It's about our human heart, what we were fashioned for, created for, that in all of humanity, man will always fail us, no matter how hard they try. But it's about a clear image of who God is as the Father. Um, many of you are probably familiar with the passage in Malachi 4. It's actually Malachi 4, um, and it's verse 5. And if you want to take a second and just turn there with me, we'll read it together. This is the prophet Malachi prophesying, and he says, And behold, I will send you Elisha the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is speaking of the second coming of Christ. And it says, And he will turn. Now think about this. Hold on. We just need to stop for a second. You need context. This is literally Malachi is the, the last Old Testament prophet. And, to, and then there's many, 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 many years of prophetic silence that no one is speaking. So this is going to be the last prophetic utterance that is spoken and recorded from the mouth of an Old Testament prophet. And then you're going to have many years of silence, and then it's, it's the, the, kind of where the New Testament actually breaks in. So these are the final words of the New Testament. 
So let's just say, number one, that, that gives it huge emphasis, and it, it speaks of the importance of paying attention to what those words are. But it's also, it's one passage of scripture, one verse, that's actually highlighting before the great and, and dreadful day of the, of the coming of the Lord, what is, what's on God's heart. What is the premier issue of that day? There's many things that he could have addressed. But this is what I think, like, like we even addressed that with all the brokenness in our society, it comes back to this issue of family. I feel as though instead of him addressing multiple um, symptoms of the problem or kind of the fruit, he went right to the root of the issue. There's many things that he could have addressed. He could have addressed lawlessness. He could have, all of those things that we will see in the last days. But I feel like as though he goes right to the very root of the issue and strikes at the heart of it. And he says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. There's, I mean, this passage could preach all day long. I mean, we could really stay here, but because I really want us to move on to more the heart of God and his unfailing love and compassion towards us. But what I want you to do is I want you to understand the emphasis and the importance that God places upon this issue of restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, that he makes it the premier issue of the last days. But it also speaks if there's need for restoration, it's because it exposes the brokenness that's there. Um, If you can just all turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 11. Like I said earlier, really the issue and the identity of the Father, God the Father, and who he is as a father, is one of the most powerful, powerful images that you see in the Word of God. And um, while you're there, actually, I'm going to skip ahead just to save time. Um, So just hold your place in Luke chapter 11. Um, But this is what I want to lay as a foundation. How many of you guys are familiar with John chapter 17? It really is the intercessory prayer of Jesus. It is probably one of the most famous prayers. It's Jesus praying on our behalf. And it's a huge window into the union between the Father and the Son. And, but as in John chapter 17, this is so revealing of your posture before God and who you are before God. In John chapter 17, verse 23, it says, uh, this is Jesus praying, I in them and you in me, and they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me. And then he goes on to say, pay attention to this. And that you have loved them as you have loved me. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. And he's speaking about that the world may, may be per, that the world may know that we are one. And, and he's speaking about the revelation of Christ. But he goes on to say, and that they might know that the love which you have loved me, that that is how you love them. What he's speaking is, is he's saying that those that are heirs of Jesus Christ, those that have accepted the name of Jesus Christ, he's saying that the Father loves us as individuals the same way that the Father loves Jesus. Now, for many of us, we actually can understand the way that God loves Jesus and the amount of passion and desire, the amount of compassion, the longing that he has for his son. But if we actually, as individuals, were to put ourselves in that place of understanding that that is the same heart that God has towards each and every single one of us, 
that he actually doesn't love Jesus any more than he loves you as a person. That his commitment to Jesus is the very same commitment that he has to you. I mean, it's really, when he looks at you, he does not look at you different. He doesn't look at it as, as Jesus is his beloved son and somehow you kind of got joined into the family line because of what his amazing son did. He's saying that the very same love that you have for me, this was Jesus speaking, is the love that you have for them. That is one of the most powerful revelations of understanding God's heart towards you. That he loves you with the same passion and intensity that he loves Jesus. If we were to understand, perceive, comprehend, but more than on a mental, a mental side, on an emotional, experiential, receiving the love of God, it would change the entire way that we function as individuals. Your confidence would be revolutionized. There would, competitiveness would no longer be a part of your vocabulary. It's the issue of identity from the Father. It's the issue of knowing who you are, and it's the issue of standing with clear confidence and identity in that place. For us to understand, I mean, if you look at even the life of Jesus, I firmly, firmly believe on multiple levels that, when, um, that part of Jesus being able to fulfill his calling was this issue of fathering. I can tell you countless times that I sit in groups of young adult leaders across the whole nation, and you can literally sit in a room and go, that young person is being fathered, that young person is being fathered, that young person is being fathered, that one is orphaned, that one is orphaned. And you can see it by the way of interaction. You can see it by the way that they communicate with confidence that what they have to say is valuable and important and people want to hear it, versus those that are living from a posture of rejection. And that's really what it is, is that when you know the approval of God the Father, you come out from living a life of, of functioning out of rejection, and even functioning from a place of striving for approval. I mean, this is, it's extraordinary, and, and hear my heart here, it's not about labeling people, it's about saying it is so powerful, the distinction when we receive the love of the Father God, and we understand it and we operate it, that it, it revolutionizes our entire identity. This passage of scripture, I want you to pray it. I want you to meditate upon it. If you don't do anything else, to simply sit and even ask God, reveal to me that you have loved me with the very same love that you have for Jesus. You love me with the very same love that you have for Jesus. It will change your emotional makeup. It will change the way that you view other people. It will change the way that you view yourself. It will change the way that you view circumstance. It will eradicate fear from your life. I mean, all of those things just get dissolved in a moment. If there's small, minute things that you find yourself anxious and concerned over, I guarantee if you meditate on this passage of scripture, you'll find those things fall to the wayside because that issue of identity and confidence in the love of God is so rooted and grounded. That's the prayer in Ephesians, actually. For those, that, we're not going to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 3, um, 13. It's actually like the most famous apostolic prayer, but it's highlighted for this reason, I bow my knee to, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in earth and heaven was named, that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded 
in love. In the actual Greek, it's the understanding of you having stability in love. I guarantee anyone in this room that lacks emotional stability, that if you feel as though your emotions are like a wave that you're tossed by circumstance, that you're affected by the day in and the day out instead of having stability in that place and being continual, it's an issue of love. It's an issue of a revelation of the Father heart of God and his love for you, of being rooted and grounded. That word rooted, it's just like a tree. It's that the roots go down deep, and regardless of wind or storm, you are fixed. You are positioned. You are not moving, that there's a stability that remains there. That you being rooted and grounded love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, all, above all you could ask or imagine. This is his apostolic prayer. When he's praying about you being filled with the fullness of God, it's all preceded with a revelation of God's love for you. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. I'm sure every person in this room wants to fulfill the fullness that God has for them. I'm sure every person in this room would say, I want all that God has for me. I want to walk in the fullness of what God has for me. But if you look at what the Apostle Paul prayed here, it's preceded. If you long for the fullness of God to walk in your destiny, it's preceded with a revelation and an understanding of his love for you. It's preceded by being rooted and grounded and established in his love. And a a revelation of that love. That's what he's praying for. He's praying that the saints would have a revelation of that love. That they might be filled with all the fullness of God. That we actually don't graduate from that point. That that actually is the point. (laughs) That is the point right there. Is living in a love relationship with God the Father. The extraordinary thing in in the New Testament when you study this issue of the identity of God the Father... It actually means, which is, is so powerful, the word father means the most, um, the most intimate and loving bond possible. The most intimate and loving bond that is possible. That's actually all of the references in the word of God to, to God the Father. It's speaking of us having the most intimate and loving relationship that's possible with God. That's moving us beyond the estrangement. That's moving us beyond feeling as though he's standing in judgment of us. It's moving beyond the performance of if I act right, do right, if I accomplish it right, if I win his approval. It's moving beyond all of that saying it's the most intimate and loving relationship that is possible. I mean, I find that powerful personally because oftentimes throughout the scripture, there is imagery used even of the bride and the bridegroom. And I mean, that's obviously pretty intimate, but it's speaking of this love relationship between the Father and His Son, Jesus, but also the Father and us, who have become a part of the family of God, is the most intimate and loving relationship possible. I mean, the question becomes, do we feel as though we're we're standing in a posture of receiving the most intimate and loving bond with God? Or do we somehow feel as though we're second-hand citizens? 
that there's other people that have his favor, other people that have his blessing, other people that he somehow endorses or looks out for, or all of those places of understanding our identity before, before him, for who we are before God. Um, so, so I think you guys, did you guys turn to Luke 11? You did. I actually just want to make this emphasis um, because I know that all of us in this place are very, very familiar with the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But really, actually, the reason we're turning to Luke 11 rather than the reference of the Our Father in Matthew 5 um, is because of this. The disciples come to Jesus, and the first thing they say is, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Now, understand, Jesus, who has the most intimate relationship with his Father, that has a revelation of God the Father, that operates from that identity, he's living from that identity, he could have taught them any way to pray whatsoever. He could have said, you approach them as saying, our master who, are, who is in heaven, our husband who is in heaven. He could have taught them any means by praying and any ways to approach God. He could have said, O oh Lord, who is in heaven. There's a, va- O oh Jehovah, who is in heaven, speaking of provider. He could have told them and instructed them to address God anyway. But we have this window into Jesus, the Son of God, and we have this window into where he's teaching as far as how do we pray to God in heaven. And he opens it up by saying, Our Father, our Father, who is in heaven. He had a revelation of the Father and what he understood, and it actually goes on in this parable. It's the parable of fatherhood of saying that if we as earthly fathers, as human carnal people, and many of you in this room are not parents, but you you will be one day. He's addressing this place as if we so desire to give our children good gifts, how much more does God the Father desire to give, to give his sons and daughters? And he says specifically, desire to give the Holy Spirit. See, oftentimes we see God as one that's standing afar off, somehow withholding. Or that somehow we have to beg and we have to beseech and we have to kind of work it right. If I pray this many days or fast this many days, if I kind of, instead of understanding him as God the Father... The Father, that we have the most intimate, loving bond. It's probably my son trying to escape, I think. (laughs) I don't think anybody was there back there. I think he was trying to get out. But that's the understanding, and that's actually how he instructs us when we approach him. So think about it this way, that when you are coming before God in your prayer time, in a corporate prayer meeting, any of these places, oftentimes we see him as afar off rather than being the God, the Father, that is invested and caring in every single detail of our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just going to say that revelation of our Father who art in heaven, it will revolutionize the way we pray. Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven. Even more closely, as we begin to have a healthy image of what a father is, it goes on in this parable. It says, if a son asks for bread from any, any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? This understanding of his desire to give good gifts, that that is his desire for us. 
I actually just want us to close out with um, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Most of you are very, very familiar with the story of the prodigal son. This is another place where the parable and the imagery of a father is being displayed, is this place of the prodigal son. And my son wants me. <laughs> is that what he's screaming about? Is he being disciplined? Is that why? He's good. He's a good boy. He goes, he's a good boy. This is the passage as far as the, the prodigal son. It's Luke 15. And actually, it starts in verse 11, but is there anybody, without shame, is there anybody here not familiar with the story of the prodigal son? Because I want to make sure we really take time to go through it in detail, if there's anybody that's not familiar. Okay, Luke, Luke 15, verse 11. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the, por- the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them, uh, divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, uh, journeyed to a faraway country, and there he wasted his portion with, with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, all there, arose a, a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to, to feed swine. And he, would gladly be fill, oh, and he would gladly fill his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. He's, this is all speaking of. He basically was working feeding pigs, and he would eat actually what the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, in some translations it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he, this is the father's response in verse 20. It says, he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off. Number one, this speaks of the father looking for his son. He stand as he stood earnestly seeking and he actually saw him while he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion. Just say the word compassion. compassion. That's the heart of God. This father he is revealing the heart of God towards us that he had compassion. Most of us think that he stands with judgment, with accusation, that he's going to stand with discipline, that he's going to stand with harshness. And all of those things. But the heart response of this father was compassion. And he says he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. This then speaks also of this issue of intimacy and of desire and of this emotional bond. And it says the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his, ser- his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For, his son was, for, for my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. It actually goes on to speak about the older son. And it says, now the older son uh, was in the field. And he had con- come to draw near to the house. And he heard the music and the dancing. 
And so he called one of the servants and asked, what are these, what are these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he ha has received his, him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. The son, it's speaking of the son. But the son was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. The story goes on. I mean, it really does speak as far as the two different sons. The one that ultimately what he did is he betrayed his father. He went and squandered his inheritance. But when he came to his senses and returned, what he found as far as the revealing of the heart of the father was nothing but compassion. And then you actually find the son who's been doing it right all along, getting it right, performing it right, doing it perfectly, has never betrayed his father. But really what this story actually reveals is it's really about the heart issue. And this is kind of where I was speaking even about this issue of fatherhood, is that we can stand in a posture of almost striving and, and working our whole life to please God, of operating from the place of striving rather than the place of rest. See, as a son, we stand in a place of rest and confidence and peace. Really, our life will be marked by peace when we understand that we're sons. But when we stand as orphans, we stand as those that are struggling and striving and contending for our place, contending for recognition, contending for affirmation, because we haven't received it from God. And really, this definition, even if, as I shared with you as far as in the Greek, that the word father, I'm actually going to read it directly instead of my own, it's the closest bond of love and intimacy. This changes everything, that instead of operating from a place of works, we operate from the place of intimacy. And that is his ultimate desire, that even if you don't produce anything, that even if you don't accomplish anything, that even if you don't look like a success in the eyes of man, that when you come to a place of experiencing the love of God, when you come to a place of understanding the bond of love and intimacy that you were created for, everything changes. Everything changes. There's a measure of peace that comes upon your life. Because instead of feeling as though it's all about what we produce and what the eyes of man see, we come to that place where we're living before the eyes of God alone for his approval alone, and when you know that you've already won it, when you know that he, he, he's already saying you are approved, you are accepted. It's not about anything. Think about this. This is what I <laughs> Think about the, the paradox of this story. The prodigal son comes home, and let's just be honest. I mean, he screwed up. Like, he completely screwed the deal up. And the father's acceptance had nothing to do with what the son had done. Meaning it had nothing to do with the fact that his son used the inheritance. See, this is the way in our American mind it works out. If the son had taken the inheritance, if he'd gone and made a wise business um, investment, if he had multiplied it, become a success in the eyes of the world, then the father would have celebrated him and loved him. But instead he came back as an utter failure. He came back completely poor. He came back, he actually lost his portion of the inheritance. He was homeless. He couldn't even feed himself. He was eating what the pigs ate. And the response of the father toward his son was because of who his son was, not because of what his son does. And that's what each one of us has to understand. It's really about who you are before God 
not what you are doing for God. He could care less about what it is we think we're going to somehow do for him. And what he wants is this place where it speaks of the Father. He wants that bond of love and intimacy. He wants you to receive that love and intimacy because the only way that you will ever be able to love God back is when you've received his love. There's some of you that really struggle wondering because you want to love God more. I want to obey God. I want to get over the sin. It's almost in that place of like when, and you know, sometimes I think we get a little disillusioned even sometimes with the songs that we sing of that somehow we want to love him more and give him more and we want to, but ultimately most of that really comes from a place of when we experience more of his love and his pleasure for us, we're able to respond from that place. That, I mean, you guys have heard the old saying that hurt people hurt people. But healed people actually heal people. And really that place that we, every human being on the planet lives from the place of hurt unless they're living in that place of understanding God the Father and experiencing that bond of love and intimacy. That, that is the game changer. That is the place of restoration. That is the place of healing. So ultimately today, as it's Father's Day, if you look statistically all across the planet, really, as it's being celebrated, that a mass majority of society actually lives with more of an ache in their heart of what they wish their father would be. But also beyond that, beyond their physical father, they live with confused identity because they've never received the love of a father speaking identity and purpose and ultimately acceptance over them. But where it changes everything is that when we have a generation of young people, if we're going to pray for revival, any of the things that we pray for fundamentally comes down to we need young adults, young men, and young women that have experienced the love of God. The love of God that's come into our mess and brought order out of chaos. The love of God that's come into our brokenness and brought restoration and healing. The love of God that's come into our ugliness and brought beauty. The love of God that's come into every place that we have been confused about who we are and what we're supposed to be, and he's simply spoken identity and purpose and acceptance. See, most of us walk into any given environment, whether it be work-related, social-related, ministry environments, and because we actually walk in from the lens of rejection, we're living from that place of desperately seeking to find approval and affirmation, rather from from the place of rest, of simply receiving the love of God and actually being able to operate from a place of peace. What I want us to do is, I mean, I'm not looking actually for any of us to lay hands on you and to pray for you, because largely, I mean, we can pray words with you, and we're happy to agree with you, but really what it comes down to is us as people, and really, and I guess this is what I want to say, is this identity of when the prodigal saw the response of his father, of us actually saying, God, I want to see you as the father that you truly are. I want you to come into every place of brokenness, every place where I have not had identity spoken over me, every place. The thing is, is that the understanding even of this father is ultimately he fights for his children. And oftentimes when we're in a posture of almost fighting and contending for a place, 
it's because we actually haven't been in the place of understanding he fights on our behalf. That we actually don't have to make a way for ourselves. All we have to do is rest in his promise over us, rest in his love over us. There's actually, in 1 John, I'm not actually going to read the whole passage of scripture, it's 1 John 3, 1, it says, it's where he's referenced as father again, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that he has called us children of God. What manner of love that the father has bestowed upon us. So what I want us to do, I actually will, if you, I want us to close out with a time of worship. I want us to close out with a time of worship, but really our worship in in direct response to the accepting of the love of of Father God. And there's some of you in this place, I I just want to be very, very clear that by saying that I need a revelation of the love of God, it's not saying that your dad abused you, it's not saying that your dad, it's really beyond that place of earthly fatherhood. It's that place that we were created, like this passage says, and even the understanding in the Greek, that we were created for a bond of intimacy and love with God. And it's only in that place of love and intimacy that we understand identity and acceptance. And what I want us to do is I want us to just take a few minutes specifically. I'm going to pray over us corporately. Father, we come before you today, God, and we... We recognize, Father, that there's many of us in this place, God, each one of us in this place, Lord, that can so easily, Lord, go into the realm of working to gain your approval, of striving to find your acceptance. And God, even many of us, God, that lack that place of peace before you, the confidence of knowing, Lord, your approval and your acceptance. God, we even specifically, God, recognize, God, that, that there are places of brokenness with earthly fathers. God, that there are places of abandonment and neglect. God, of being forsaken, Lord, and even left to ourselves. So, God, we come before you today, Father, and we, we ask, Lord, that you would wash our minds and wash our hearts. God, that we could see rightly who you are. Why don't we just take a few minutes? I actually didn't plan on ministering directly about earthly fathers at all, but why don't we just take a few minutes as a community and let's just yield our hearts before the Lord. Let's just open our hearts before him. God, we ask, Lord, that any place, God, even when we hear that word, Father, God, that it invokes, Lord, more of a pain of loss and regret. Lord, rather than uh, an emotion of delight and satisfaction. God, I just pray even for every individual under the sound of my voice, God, that Lord, even may have had a physical father, God, in in close proximity or even present in their life, but God, that they were emotionally distant and far off. God, that pain of that they physically could have or possibly could have been there, but almost the refusal to. God, we we ask, Lord, even right now, Father, that you would uproot the spirit of rejection, Father. 
from hearts and minds. God, I ask so that the, the spirit and power of rejection would be broken in the name of Jesus. We just want to agree in prayer with anybody. We're going to take a moment before we move on. If there's anybody specifically that just simply says, I did not feel accepted and approved of by my father, and, it, and you know that it's been an open door for wounding. You know that it's been an open door for brokenness in your life. We just want to take a moment to pray for you without shame because each and every one of us have various degrees but we just want to pray over you before we move on from this place so if you just want to